Did you know that 70% of all books are sold online via e-commerce? If you're an author wondering how you can get some of that market share, this is for you. Hi, I'm your co-host Carly Waters, and I'm here to tell you how writers can work on their author brand to build an audience and convert those followers into book buyers. Do you ever wonder why so many authors publish their books and later say they didn't sell as many copies as they wanted? It happens over and over and it's all over social media. Authors really think it's a them problem, but not always. They really just weren't shown the way. And I don't want you guys to launch a book and show up at book events and have two people in the chairs. I have helped clients launch books to the bestseller list for over 15 years. I have now built a six module, 10 hour course with all my knowledge. And that will give you the craft and book business information that you won't find anywhere else. And there's an app. Over 100 of you have already joined my new course. And writer Siobhan Moore said, I'm halfway through the course and grieving that I didn't have this information sooner. There's really nowhere else to find it worth every penny. Thank you, Siobhan. If you want all that info and everything that will change the course of your writing career, go to carlywaters.com course to learn more and use discount code POD15 for the month of April at checkout. That's POD, P-O-D 15 at checkout over at carlywaters.com course. Hi everyone, this is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Hi there, and welcome to my show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm your host, Bianca Murray. This is a podcast for aspiring writers or anyone who'd like to learn more about what happens behind the scenes in the publishing industry. Today's guest is an author of 20 novels, including 17 New York Times bestsellers. She has over 10 million books in print, is published in over 25 languages, and has several books in development for film and TV. Her latest book is The Friends We Keep. It's my pleasure to introduce the fabulous Jane Green. Your first novel, Straight Talking, was bought during a bidding war, which is every single writer's dream to have publishers fighting over your novel as opposed to sending it out everywhere and desperately hoping that one publisher will want that novel. Can you tell us about that experience and what it was like as a new author to launch your career that way? I was so naive about publishing. I knew nothing about publishing. I never thought I'd be a writer. I mean, I was a writer. I was a journalist. I, were, I was a feature writer for a national newspaper. But I never thought that I would be a novelist. And so when I got this idea to write a novel, I sent it off to one agent 
thinking, oh, well, they're going to love it because I love it. I think this is great. And I've, you know, there's nothing else like this. And I got a letter back saying, your characters are immature and your situations lack credibility and your work is frankly unpublishable. So I fell into this deep depression. And a guy that I knew at the time said, you know, you can't let one person's opinion put you off. You've been so excited about this book. You have to keep going. And I will forever be grateful to him because I then did something that you're not supposed to do. And again, this is all kind of because I was so naive. I sent three chapters and a synopsis and my resume off to 13 literary agents. And of course, now they say, you know, one as you send it off to one and then you wait for them. I mean, I'm sure that was true then, but I sent it off to 13. And within a week, nine of them had come back and said, we love this. Can we, can we read more? I mean, now I look back and think, my God, I was so lucky. And I wish that I had had, had more gratitude. I wish I'd saved more money. I wish I'd appreciated it. You know, I remember when I was first published in America and I actually moved to America to sort of ride the wave because I had a huge bestseller over here with Jemima Jay, which was in the year 2000. And People magazine would feature me every year in with like a five page spread. And, and I had no idea. I thought, great, that happens to every I mean, I just was so enormously naive. I didn't realize how special it was and how how lucky I was. So, you know, success is definitely wasted on the young. I kind of <laughs> I wish that I could bring the wisdom and the humility um, and just the sense that I have now to to the person I was back then. What you've just said ties into something that I tell my creative writing students is that the thing with publishing is the goalposts are constantly shifting. So I remember when I began writing my first novel, I said, if I could just finish this novel, I will be happy. And then I finished the novel and I said, if I could just get an agent, I'll be happy. And then I got an agent and I said, well, if I could just sell this novel, I would be happy. And then I sold the novel. And now I'm at the point where I'm if I could just have one bestseller, I will be happy. But I know after one bestseller, then the pressure is on because the next book has to do as well, if not better. And that initial success really sets the bar extremely, extremely high for the rest of your career. Very few writers are able to maintain that with every single book that they write over the course of their career. I think that's absolutely true. And I, I say something very similar to people that I spent many years thinking, well, if I, if I had a bestseller, and then, and then it never fills the hole. It never feels the way you think it's going to feel. You never feel enough. If you don't feel enough, nothing external is ever going to make you feel enough. And I had years thinking, well, if I made it in America, and then if I was a top 10 bestseller, and then if I made number one, and then you start to think, well, when I have a movie. And and at a certain point, if you're lucky, you realize that those are all external goals. And actually, it, there is no destination that's ever going to fulfill you. And what you have to do is love the journey. And you have to write because there's nothing else that you want to do more. That, that reminds me of the movie Cool Runnings. There was a line in that movie and it was, if you're not enough without it, you will never be enough with it. And that just struck me then because it's it's so true of, of this journey. Something I wasn't prepared for when I 
got published was how intense the highs would be and how very low the lows would be. Can you think of three major highlight moments that were just beyond your wildest dreams? And then three moments that were really low. The highs for me, and still 25 years later, this still gives me the same high that it gave me the very first time it happened. Seeing somebody reading my book, seeing somebody in an unexpected place, in an airport or by a swimming pool, or and still after all these years, I have to go and say something because I'm still I'm so excited. And you know, I used to go up to people and say, "Are you enjoying the book?" And they'd sort of look up like, "Who's who's what stranger is talking to me?" And then I'd think, "Oh God, what happens if they say I hate it?" So I go, "Oh, it's just that I wrote it. I'm I'm Jane Green." And and then you see them sort of their mouthful and they're, they're they don't know what to say. They're a little sort of shaken. And then usually I'd walk away and I'd watch <laughs> flick to the photo in the back to check to see whether it was me. That was always a high. I mean, it still blows me away that I get to be friends with writers that I have loved for years. And I'm a peer. You know, I sit and have dinner with them and they come to my house. And, and these are people that I have read for years and years and, and absolutely love. So that is something that is still utterly exhilarating. I am one of those rare writers that really adores public speaking. I, it's a real anomaly because I'm total introvert, but I love getting up on stage and delivering a, a speech. And that's always a high for me. Lows. Social media has provided me with some real lows. You know, I was at once... My first really bad experience happened years ago when I was attacked by another writer uh, on Twitter. It was somebody sort of in my genre and somebody very big and and who got all of her followers to sort of jump on board. And, you know, it, it's somebody who's had an issue with me anyway. For You know, I, I didn't know her. She'd had an issue with me for years. And that was very very upsetting. And actually, I, I sort of abandoned Twitter then. That was so long ago. I mean, it was probably 13 or 14 years ago. And I, I made a decision then that I, I couldn't be involved in Twitter. And I think, you know, you mentioned earlier about sort of catching up, you know, you write one bestseller, and then the next one has to be as good as and and the truth is that nobody stays at the top forever, you just can't, it's just not possible to do that. And so when you have this huge success early on, you know, I made the mistake of thinking, well, you know, it's only going to get bigger from here. There's going to be more and more. And when you write that first book that doesn't hit the list and that doesn't perform and, and suddenly, you know, your, your sales are low and that's really frightening. And, you know, particularly for somebody like me, I, I support my family through my job. I'm not sort of dallying at this and then the lows can be, I don't read them anymore, but for many years, I, I would read all the reviews. And then I realized it was a bit like compliments and insults. You can pay me a thousand compliments and they're going to go in one ear and out the other, but you insult me once, I'm going to hold it forever. And reading the reviews was like that. I'd skim all the ones that said, oh, Jane Green's so great. And, and then I'd get to Jane Green's rubbish. And that was the one that would stick. And so I have reached an age where I can actually laugh about reviews now. They really, really don't upset me. I don't know whether that's experience or age, but I try very hard not to read them because the truth is the good ones mean as little as the bad ones. It's so subjective. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly it. So, and I've even heard about writers who will 
give a rebuttal to their negative review. <laughs> yeah. It always makes me cringe because while I formulate these rebuttals in my mind, yeah. I, I would never. People can be very vicious and they can also, they can be vicious on a personal level. They can, it can, often that attack is not just about your writing, it's about you. And particularly in these days when you're you're all over social media and we're opening up our, our lives and our families. Um, and I certainly have written to people and I tried to be very kind and very gracious and just sort of let them know, hey, I'm actually a real person and words have impact and it hurts. And I would say nine times out of 10, I still believe that's the wrong thing to do. You need to just move on and forget it. People were generally mortified because they really, it's why everybody feels so good about being so angry online, because we don't think that those words that we're tapping into our computer have impact. We don't think that that people we perceive to have a public profile are, are reading those words, but they often are. Something I'm finding on social media is that some book reviewers feel the need to tag you as an author in a major takedown oh God. review. And <sighs> sitting there going, you know, it's fine that you hated the book. It's fine that you hated the characters. It's fine that you think I should crawl into a hole and die. But why you felt the need to tag me in this so that I could see this review yeah. is beyond me. And also on Goodreads, there seem to be a whole ton of reviewers who have built their platform on being really really mean. It's like the young journalists, and I've had this with journalists as well, who exactly that, they build their career by being, this happens particularly in the UK rather than here, but they come in with an agenda and it's all about being snarky and sort of tearing you apart. And yes, I, I will be honest and say I avoid Goodreads for that reason. I am not on, I mean, I think Goodreads can be amazing and what a site and community, but I'm not on it personally because I've seen how other people get get torn apart and I just I can't deal with it I'd rather just not have anything to do with it it has only happened to me I think once or twice I only remember one particular time the first time it happened when I was tagged in a review and she was really nasty and I did call her on it and she just got terribly defensive and I ended up blocking her because I just thought I don't want to see your name here it was less about anything rather than it was more that I just don't want to see your name because it, I find this really upsetting. Can you tell me how you think publishing has changed in the last 25 years? So I started in the UK and I think publishing is, is quite different in the UK. And I, I came over here after Jemima J. So I've been in the States for 20 years. And the changes that I've seen are, there's a lack of loyalty now. So in the old days, you would have an editor and a team that championed you and fought for you. And, you know, if the sales reps had an issue with something, they would, if they really believed in the book, they would fight for you. And they really put a huge amount of of work into it. And what I see now is that it's become, it feels like it's very fear-based here. And so they'll still something, they're not paying what they used to pay, but you know, you, you might do a great deal, but if your book doesn't work in that first week, they're done. No one's fighting for you. No one's championing for you. They basically look at it and go, well, that's not working. We're going to remove whatever budget we'd assigned to this book because it's not working. We're going to take it off and we're going to put it into something that is working. And then what happens is you're only as good as your last book. So you could write the most fabulous book in the whole, a book that should be, that deserves to be at the top of the bestseller list. But unless you've taken a very big break, and even then, no one's going to pay for it because everybody's going to go back and look at the numbers of your last book. And if your book hasn't done well, 
I see it's through no fault of the authors. And I know many people who have written fantastic books that haven't been positioned correctly, that haven't had the right covers, that have been thrown on the, the table for summer beach reads when they're actually very dark, quite serious novels. And that, then that's when you, I'm seeing people who were once huge names who are now doing either sort of a kind of hybrid independent publishing or, or just looking at other ways or have gone into other fields because it's really, really hard and nobody has the patience anymore to actually work with people because they have talent and because they can write and to, to mold them and shape them and strategize on what went wrong and what can, what can be different. And I think that's often very true of, of agents as well. Do you ever find that you pick up a book that's a huge buzz book and you read it and you're just like, oh my God, I just don't get it. I don't understand how this book is selling. I, I mean, I, I think the only time that that I've ever done that was with um, Fifty Shades of Grey. And, and yet I also understand why it was such a huge bestseller because it absolutely tapped into something and that can happen. But but as a work of fiction, yeah, I, I didn't get it. You know, you have other writers like Ellen Hildebrand, who is a wonderful writer. I mean, El, the truth is that Ellen Hildebrand has chosen very smartly to write beach reads. You know, she's found her metier. She's brilliant at it. And, and she's at the top of her field. But Ellen Hildebrand could walk away and write the great American novel. She could. She's a wonderful writer. She deserves every bit of her success. That gives me hope that there are wonderful writers out there who are getting the success they deserve. We just registered my youngest kid for kindergarten. I cannot believe it. One of the tricky things about my kids being in French immersion school and not having French as a language myself is I'm honestly worried about how I'm going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are honestly so lucky, though, to live in a city that's bilingual and we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So I know it's going to be easy for our kids to pick it up. Me, on the other hand, I am worried about me. I grew up somewhere where French class was not taken seriously, and now I have to make up the difference. And that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, it really immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion, which is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're honestly getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language, which is what everybody wants. Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio, the audio from native speakers, and then give you feedback on how well you're pronunciating the words so you can really hone those pronunciations. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program because they have been an expert in the language learning field for 30 years and used by millions. Thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language training online. Of all the apps, Rosetta Stone uses the best speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of a native speaker for better feedback to improve. They have a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent, which is built into the program. As you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. 
The other language learning apps use spe speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one month language course. Think about the cost of one hour private tutoring sessions. With Rosetta Stone, you enjoy lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. We have a special offer for you guys. That's 50% off. That's a lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off. This is a steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That We want you guys to go visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre or time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up for this 3,000 word evaluation. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 2nd of June, with the matchup emails going out on the 3rd of June. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the beta reader matchup page, and please spread the word the more writers we have signed up the better the matches will be do you find there's a lot of condescension in terms of being a woman who's considered to be a woman's fiction writer or a beach reads writer do you find there's a lot of snobbery either from other writers or from the industry itself I love these questions. Um, I have I actually I've always been pleasantly surprised that I've never encountered it with other writers. In fact, I would say most of my really close friends are, are literary writers. And I have never felt looked down on or patronized or condescended to by them. But I do I see it from readers. And the sadness for me is that that sort of condescension when they say like, well, you know, I love beach trash like yours, you know, or, or it's my guilty pleasure. And the truth is, that's not about me. That's their own insecurity. Because when I would say my most ardent fans tend to be academics, because they're so secure in their own intellectual ability that they have no qualms. They would delight in reading the back of a cereal packet if it was well written. But then they they know that they can they can read Jonathan Franzen and, and they can read Jane Green and they can enjoy both of them equally. And it doesn't say anything about them. Whereas I think so often people readers feel and, and women readers feel that they're going to be judged somehow unless they're reading something literary even though they might adore you know something that's lighter or commercial fiction they feel that they'll be judged in some way when it comes to your agent or agents that you've had over your career when it comes to the editors you've worked with have you got advice for emerging writers in terms of knowing when a relationship is working and when to cut ties when it just isn't advancing your career or working for you? Mm -hmm. Have you had to make these kind of tough decisions ever in your career? I've done it far more times than, than I would have liked. And I think the dream is to find the lifetime agent that, you know, and it's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I always say, trust your gut. 
I mean, it's a marriage. And how can you possibly know? You know, you choose, you might choose an agent because you really like them or because they've represented someone you like or because they were the only ones that wrote back. And if it becomes apparent that you're not on the same page and, and there is not the right chemistry, that that's not going to work. I've also been with agents who have clearly taken me on because they saw me as a, as a moneymaker, but didn't like my work. It's the hardest, hardest thing to get right. But you need somebody who is, I mean, the most important thing in an agent is somebody who's passionate about your work. Then if you can have somebody who's not only passionate about your work, but also has the chops to be able to get through to the editors, because there are so many agents now, you want somebody who's respected as well, ideally. I mean, that that's really, that's when it's the dream. Do you have advice when it comes to book contracts? Should authors be going for the two book deal, the three book deal, even though it ties them to a publisher who they may not then have a good relationship with? And what is your advice as well when it comes to advances, keeping in mind that you are only considered successful if you earn out an advance and get to the royalty stage? Yeah, I made the mistake for many, many years of, of front loading and doing huge advances and that's exactly the trap you fall into that you need to sell so many books and and you know I still have books from years ago that have never earned out and that's problematic whereas I know other very successful writers who take almost nothing their advances is nothing which you know if you can afford to do that absolutely that's the way to go and in terms of multiple books I don't know I've bought myself out of contracts before it's not a great place to be in in the old days, you absolutely wanted multi a multiple book contract because the thought was always that your publisher would then put much more into you because of, of loyalty. But the truth is, if they don't, and especially in today's world that is so volatile, if your book just doesn't perform, and that could have nothing to do with you, you could have done your job to deliver the, the absolute best book you can. And if they mess it up, then you're screwed because they're going to put nothing into your next book. So I would actually say, unless you're doing a kind of a series that where it makes sense, I would probably advise against doing more than more than two. I mean, you always, if you can, you want to do two rather than one because then that that's seen as a longer relationship. But I I would be a little more wary of committing to more than that. Yeah, there's a sense of security from the two book deal that you don't get from one book because after one book you back out to pitching and, and yeah. trying to to get an editor. But I've also spoken to writers who after three or four book deals have just been so desperate to pursue a relationship with another publishing yeah. company. So yeah, I wanted to get your take on that. How important is your brand and how important is platform? Because this is something that young writers are being told today, consider your brand, build your brand as an author, um, have a platform because publishers are interested in this. What's your take on that? So again, I think it's the, the difference between American and publishing and publishing elsewhere. I think elsewhere in a lot of other countries, particularly, you know, the UK, South Africa, Australia, Germany, it, it's still Ultimately, it's about the book. Like Jojo Moyes. I mean, Jojo Moyes was, was just writing wonderful books, but no huge books until she wrote me before you. And, and she didn't have a big brand. And she wrote a book that just was so incredible that it turned her into a, a household name. So that's always possible. 
they do tell you now that you have to be a brand. And I'm not sure that I necessarily agree. I I think your number of Instagram followers does not translate into sales. I mean, it's a wonderful marketing tool. If you, the more followers you have, the more you can tell them about your books. But in order to do that, you also have to post every day. You and it can't be about books because people then get bored. You you have to keep it alive and vibrant and connect with people and human and. It's really hard to do when you're writing a book as well and and raising a family. So I honestly don't know. I understand why people think it's so valuable, but I still believe if you write an amazing book, you're going to get that attention, whatever. In terms of tours, um, so few publishers these days are doing tours for their authors. Uh, It used to be something that a book came out, an author went on tour, and so many young writers dream of the tour. They feel like they've made it during the tour. I've been on tour, but of course, this is me as a debut author, where you travel from city to city every day. It's a different city every day. And as women, we can't just arrive at these events like male authors do. We have to go to the hotel. We have to shower. We have to do our hair. We have to do our makeup. We have to dress nicely. And we get there and either there's no one there or the one person there kind of stumbled in from the rain. And, you know, it can be soul destroying. Okay, there's a low. There's a big low for you. There's the low that I forgot to mention earlier. It is soul destroying. And the truth is the way the world has changed Nobody's showing up for you unless you're a celebrity. I mean, you know, even people with huge followings who who are authors, you know, we've all sort of realized that like bookstore events don't work. I mean, yes, you might get lucky if, if it, especially with a strong independent bookstore that, that has a real connection with their buyers, the people that are shopping, you know, they'll get them in. But more often than not, the numbers, unless you turn it into an event. So I think events are great. If you can team up with a charity, if you can team up with other authors, which is also one of the great joys, the number of authors I've become such good friends with because we've done events together. That's a great thing to do. But tours are utterly soul destroying. And I think in the old days, I mean, you look at um, Valley of the Dolls, Jacqueline Suzanne, it was back in the late 60s. But Jacqueline Suzanne went to that, that year of publication, she was on the road for a year, and she said no to nothing. She said yes to everything. She went everywhere. And she literally sold that book out the back of her car and turned it into an enormous bestseller. That doesn't happen anymore. I'm really interested in in those um, like blogging tours and online tours. And I think those are really worthwhile, especially if you've got a subject that you can write about that you're you're passionate about that uh, that will pique someone's interest and, and get them to to buy the book because so much has closed down now. We we don't buy magazines anymore. It used to be magazine reviews, but people aren't reading magazines in the same way. And but I think tours are, are very, very hard. And I, I tend to urge people to try and do events with other authors, particularly if you can get a big author who's who's more of a draw and who who brings other people in. I always like to throw some alcohol in there get a local sponsor, make sure. So turn it into more of a, of a special night, a girl's night out, rather than just a, an author reading from a book. And that's the other thing is it actually, it's a disaster to just show up and read from your book. You, you have to be an entertainer. It's actually a cabaret. You're, what you're doing is, is you're putting on entertainment for, for an hour and then 
signing. Which is another reason why it can be so exhausting because it's, you're waking up at five o'clock in the morning to catch a flight. You're flying, you're getting grubby, there's delays, you have to get to the bookstore and you have to be on the whole time. <laughs> Something that I love though about tours is meeting the booksellers at all of these independent bookstores because yeah. these are people that you maintain relationships with who are our biggest champions as writers. And that's something that for me is always a highlight. And also I'm going to add to that because I totally agree with you. And also meeting the readers and, and there's something actually quite magical that the lovely thing about social media some of my closest friends have literally been were fans or followers on social media and then they show up to an event and you get to meet them and I have some really wonderful relationships in my life that would not have happened had I not been out on tour and, and met them. I agree especially when you have readers who will travel two hours to yeah. your bookstore yeah. uh, just to see you and yeah. it's it's just so incredibly special, especially when you have these soul-destroying events where yeah. sometimes people don't arrive and there's that one person who just loves your work, who loves everything you write, and, they, and they're just so incredibly kind and that, yeah. that makes a huge, a huge yeah. difference. Well, and, and actually, you know, I, I've had this happen so many times where, you know, you sometimes you travel really far and, and to do these events and you get one or two people or, or four, you know, however many it is. And, and then I just feel stupid standing on a podium. And so then I, I literally just say to people, come on, pull up your chairs. And they'll pull up their chairs and we sit in a little circle and it becomes a totally different but equally magical event. There's actually something even lovelier about the intimacy of really being able to sit down and chat. So it's it's not always bad. If you had one piece of advice to writers who were um, emerging, who were working on their manuscripts and who were trying to get into publishing today, what would it be? Well, the, the advice that I give to everybody is that writing requires a PhD, but in my world, that is persistence, humility and discipline. Persistence because doors are always going to be closed. And just like the first agent I, I wrote to, you know, I, your work is frankly unpublishable. Well, that book became a top 10 bestseller and was huge. Humility, because it's a it's a really common novice mistake. And I remember this for years as a journalist when, when my copy would go off to the sub-editors and they, they had the temerity to change my words, you know, and I would think, how dare they? You know, they've changed everything. But the humility, to, to recognize that, that a good editor is experienced and will actually help you and show you things that you didn't even know you wanted to say. And also get even taking feedback from friends you trust. Listen to them. Don't get defensive. You know, you listen to them. On, on that same note, I would also say keep that circle very, very small um, because too many cooks do indeed spoil the broth. And the last one is discipline, that writing is a job. And there are days when it just feels glorious. You, There are days I wake up, I can't wait to sit down and, and I'm excited. And, and I feel like I'm, I feel like there's a movie in my head and all I'm doing is letting it out through my fingers. And all of a sudden I look up and four hours or five hours has gone by and, and it's incredible. But there are other days when I will sit in front of my computer and I think I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to say. And there are two things I do. I mean, sometimes I, I do, what I used to do is just think, just you sit there and write, because even when it feels like you're squeezing blood from a stone, it's only getting the first draft on the page. And actually, the more you write, 
the more it unlocks your creativity. So suddenly a sentence will be lovely and you think, oh, what is that? And, and then the next thing, it's a paragraph. And But I also think, you know, years ago, somebody also suggested doing something new, getting out of your comfort zone, going for a walk or, or just having a new experience. And often that will also kickstart your creativity. Excellent advice. Jane, it's been an absolute delight chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Thank you for being candid. Uh, I'm sure the listeners will be as inspired by you as, as I have been. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always lovely to talk to you. And that's it for today's episode. If you have any questions about writing or publishing, please email me at theshitaboutwriting at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Did you know that 70% of all books are sold online via e-commerce? If you're an author wondering how you can get some of that market share, this is for you. Hi, I'm your co-host, Carly Waters, and I'm here to tell you how writers can work on their author brand to build an audience and convert those followers into book buyers. Do you ever wonder why so many authors publish their books and later say they didn't sell as many copies as they wanted? It happens over and over and it's all over social media. Authors really think it's a them problem, but not always. They really just weren't shown the way. And I don't want you guys to launch a book and show up at book events and have two people in the chairs. I have helped clients launch books to the bestseller list for over 15 years. I have now built a six module, 10 hour course with all my knowledge. And that will give you the craft and book business information that you won't find anywhere else. And there's an app. Over 100 of you have already joined my new course. And writer Siobhan Moore said, I'm halfway through the course and grieving that I didn't have this information sooner. There's really nowhere else to find it. Worth every penny. Thank you, Siobhan. If you want all that info and everything that will change the course of your writing career, go to carlywaters.com course to learn more and use discount code POD15 for the month of April at checkout. That's POD, P-O-D 15 at checkout over at carlywaters.com course. Hi everyone, this is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Did you know that 70% of all books are sold online via e-commerce? If you're an author wondering how you can get some of that market share, this is for you. Hi, I'm your co-host, Carly Waters, and I'm here to tell you how writers can work on their author brand to build an audience and convert those followers into book buyers. 
Do you ever wonder why so many authors publish their books and later say they didn't sell as many copies as they wanted? It happens over and over and it's all over social media. Authors really think it's a them problem, but not always. They really just weren't shown the way. And I don't want you guys to launch a book and show up at book events and have two people in the chairs. I have helped clients launch books to the bestseller list for over 15 years. I have now built a six module, 10 hour course with all my knowledge. And that will give you the craft and book business information that you won't find anywhere else. And there's an app. Over 100 of you have already joined my new course. And writer Siobhan Moore said, I'm halfway through the course and grieving that I didn't have this information sooner. There's really nowhere else to find it. Worth every penny. Thank you, Siobhan. If you want all that info and everything that will change the course of your writing career, go to carlywaters.com slash course to learn more and use discount code POD15 for the month of April at checkout. That's POD, P-O-D 15 at checkout over at carlywaters.com slash course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there.